Hey everyone, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on Gay Omago land by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his, a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. Uh, Love, Rinse, yep. Repeat is supported by Uniting Mission and Education, part of the Synod here in New South Wales and ACT, and I'm thankful for their support. My guest today is Janice McRandall. Janice, welcome along. Hello, Liam. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, I'm very excited. Uh, for those who don't know, Dr. Janice McRandall is the director of The Cooperative. Uh, She is a feminist theologian who works with critical theory to explore themes of systematic theology alongside politics and popular culture. Her publications include Christian Doctrine and the Grammar of Difference and Sarah Coakley and the Future of Systematic Theology. So that's the that's the that's the bio that's that's on the website. So how does one become, you know, Dr. Janice McRandall of the cooperative (laughs) public theologian, published <laughs> theologian, you know, we were kind of I was saying before we started recording, it's certainly not fait accompli that anyone would become, would go into this field uh, and maybe even less so as we move further and further into the 21st century. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, what led you to here and then a bit of what you are doing now. Yeah, um, it's an interesting and important question, obviously for any individual, but for me because it's, such a surprising, unlikely, unexpected path. Um, so I didn't grow up uh, attending church regularly or any sense of Christianity, didn't know the difference between the Old and the New Testaments as Christians refer to them. Mm. And, um, and so there was this lack of faith formation that uh, my family is culturally Catholic. I was born in Ireland, but, it, again, I didn't understand anything about the faith. It wasn't, in, it wasn't a part of my life growing up. Um, and then on the flip side also um, in terms of education and academia, that wasn't a likely path for me. Nobody in my family had finished high school, let alone gone to university. Mm. And I followed that same path actually. I left school at 15. So I have a PhD but not a high school certificate. <laughs> um, and and was heading towards a kind of um, existence very much without education being a part of that and or faith. And at the age of 20, I had what I guess I can only describe as a a radical kind of conversion experience. I came to faith. I thought given I had a lot of problems in my life, I felt like there was a lot of social problems around me and I thought maybe I'll follow Jesus. (laughs) Maybe this will be the thing that I that could change my life, that could transform my life. So, like, on one level it was initially in those early stages of rational decision, like I'm, I need help, I need some direction, I need something different. But then within a couple of months it felt like a profound spiritual experience in which mm. something I'd describe as grace came into my life and that compelled me to offer myself up for service. And that actually was in uh, Salvation Army worship experience so I became very involved, became a member and very involved in the Salvation Army very quickly. And within two years, I was offering myself a full-time ministry as a um, candidate for ordination and commissioning in the Salvation Army, as it was then. So at 22, I took my first theology class, um, which I had to take at diploma level because I obviously hadn't finished high school back mm-hmm. then, over 21 counted as mature age student. Oh, yes, yeah. are <laughs> a lot stricter now. And I had to pass that subject to see if I would be allowed to enrol in a Bachelor of Theology. Mm. And 
and and that's what I did. And I was nervous and insecure, as I said, left school at 15. Like I was always a smart kid, but I belonged to a kind of social determinism that said this is not for me, this is not for the likes of me, this path. So I felt very insecure. Would I be able to to do this and, and cut this? Um, but I guess within a year or two, uh, doing the Bachelor of Theology and then getting ordained in the Salvation Army, I just knew this is a vocational calling. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And it was quite, it was very unusual in the Salvation Army then. I pursued immediately pursued. I never stopped studying, even though I was you know mid twenties doing what all the good faithful Christian women doing, having babies. I just never stopped studying. Um, and I started doing my high degree research through the Uniting Church in Sydney at UTC, and I did an honours degree there and then straight into a PhD, um, which led me to respond to a call for um, a placement at Trinity College in Queensland, the Uniting Church there, once I'd finished my PhD. So, you know, I'm a determined, hardworking <laughs> kind of person, an overcomer or whatever, so I just kept Mm. going don't stop don't ever stop I always thought if you stop studying you'll never get back to it that was mm. my and in the salvation Army, I was just around people saying why would you be doing why are you doing all that? I was in full-time ministry with babies doing a wow. full PhD but I had that kind of no this is this drive at that age which is lucky I don't have it now <laughs> 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 and that's you know ended up in Queensland and and left the Salvation Army, became a member of the Uniting Church, and that felt like, yeah, this is this is the vocational calling that was there very mm. early when I came to faith. Mm. Well, thank you for that. So I guess, like, other than that, like, determinism, determination, uh, I should say, to, and, and that drive to push through and that, like, I'm in it and I'm going to get through it, um, was there anything else about like what like that kind of kept you going like actually I can go deeper into this like you know from bachelor into master like like it, yeah. within the discipline itself that was alluring in that way to go there's there's more to find um and and, and more to do yeah I mean I think early on I would have articulated that as like very much part of formation and my faith journey that that these intellectual questions and these problems that arise from anybody's experience but also um, study and thinking through life and the big questions that they need to be wrestled with, that I needed to wrestle with them from my own faith. And I think it's only like that sort of whatever I meant by faith has broken open to a much broader picture of um, it being a political exercise and a social exercise that this that the study of humanities really matters for the world and that I want to be in there. And I think so there's, you know, that, but also a fair a fair amount of rage as well. Yeah, <laughs> like I've, yeah. I've always been a feminist. Um, my family are left-wingers, like hardcore left-wingers compared to most of the Christians I mm. meet, like what they grew up with. Um, I was born in Northern Ireland in a Catholic family, so there were certain political leanings and assumptions, especially around class and things like colonialism that I was raised on, Mm. then you commit your life to the church and you discover this amazing patriarchal (laughs) colonial institution and you're in but you're out and I've got a lot of rage. So Mm. I I have to work on this stuff. I have to give my life um, to, to 
working intellectually but also socially mm. around political material. So I guess with that breaking open, I guess how does that then tie into now with the cooperative and what you're trying to do there? Um, so maybe for those who don't know, I mean, obviously you go to the website and play around, but lead, like, lead, lead us in a bit to what that is, what you're doing and how it, I guess it fits with this <laughs> a vehicle both for that the study of humanity, the political and social project and an avenue to, to work, you know, use that rage. Yeah, so the cooperative is a Centre for Public Theology, for want of a better description, that's just emerging like it's a new project out of Wesley Mission Queensland and Albert Street Uniting Church. So Albert Street Church was the Central Methodist Mission prior to Union and founded Wesley Mission Queensland, which is now a very large service provider in southeast Queensland. So um, many, many formed in aged care and then but also many now community services have overtaken the aged care proportion. So many different services helping people in need across southeast Queensland. And the idea was this this church, for those who know Brisbane, it sits right on the public square. Yeah, it's a great uh, spot. Yeah, King George Square across the road from um, City Hall. It's not town hall in, in <laughs> Brisbane. It's called City Hall, I think. And it's, it is the public square and there's mm. a churches here and Albert Street is the most sort of it's the quintessential church on the square and the idea that how do we re-emerge the Uniting Church as a public voice and and Wesley Mission Queensland and from the Methodist roots, how does that re-emerge as a public voice um, theologically but in broader, you know, potentially building an advocacy arm and um, other ways to engage the social discourse. So, so we're slowly building this centre for public theology. Um, I'm the only full-time staff member here. I was hired to set it up. Uh, and, in fact, we're launching this week, having a, a launch event. And Yay. That's, yeah, so that's exciting. And that will incorporate some academic pursuits. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a the theology series that will have a conference each year, culminating mm-hmm. academic publications, uh, also some specific things for the United Church. So we just started a thing called the Albert Street Lecture Series and these are public theology lectures in the church and for the life of the synod. So trying to really invigorate a theological discourse within this synod that's probably been gone for many years um, and looking to the voices within the synod. So who is going to develop and advance Mm. Um, the theology of the Uniting Church in the decades to come. And we had a strong tradition in the Uniting Church in Australia of that, but we've kind of let it die in many ways. So how do we reinvigorate that? And who are scholars of the future? Um, And some of the other avenues are building a tight relationship with the Wesley Mission Queensland RAP group, so their reconciliation action plan and how does the church get engaged with that? How does theology become a part of of a rap plan so that's some of the focus areas um we're really open to um, public theology being surprisingly new and doing different things that it perhaps hasn't done in the past and definitely with an emphasis on including voices that haven't been included in that Mm. conversation that's really helpful i think maybe can move there to a bit about public theology uh so i guess um yeah, I'm curious a bit about your thoughts on on maybe, maybe the state, I guess, public theology, maybe specifically in Australia. Um, 
and where you see, I guess, either the things that you're like, this is fruitful. And I think this is something that a trajectory, an opening, mm. something that's budding that I'd love to see the field in, explore. And here are the things I still think it's it's too wedded to or too um, fixated on in the nature of its identity. So I'm curious a bit about your thoughts on, on yeah, that, that landscape of public theology um, mm. and I guess what keeps you drawn to it, whether it's the rage at the old or the <laughs> hope of the new, uh, you know, it might be both. Yeah. Um, it's a, I mean, who who does know what public theology is? <laughs> like, it's such a broad term. I know that I've been, in, you know, engaged to, to build a centre for public theology, but it is like it's so broad and sometimes yes. so ill-defined that it's nothing. And then other times, like I think in Australia a lot of, the energy around what's often described as public theology is actually Christian apologetics, Christians talking to other Christians about how Christianity is. And, you know, apologetics is supposed to be to the world of non-believers, but nearly always when I see these kind of apologetic exercises, they're just talking to other Christians. So so that seems like a confused, muddled place of public theology. Mm. Um, and we're certainly not interested in entering into that. The other thing is, like, in terms of public holding space in public discourse in Australia, the Christian voice or the theological voice that certainly overcrowds the market is from a much more conservative end. So we obviously see that with the more extreme, I guess you could say, like, nationalistic fundamentalist groups. You might think of ACL or these church and state summits and religious freedom groups. Um, they definitely are punching above their weight in the way media responds to the things they have to say. So there's those kind of groups. And then there's a number of centres and research spaces that describe themselves as public theology, (laughs) but they don't necessarily have any engagement in the public. So it can get very confused mm, mm. I guess I'm not trying I'm not trying to nail down some stiff definition but there are two things that we're definitely trying to do with the cooperative one is like the idea of the public and the common good and the polos really is historically rooted to a group of slave owning powerful men and that's the tradition the Christian church bring you know comes out of and of course in the early church there's ways in which that's subverted but really that is a fairly mm. stable track that you can um, trace throughout history so that the public belongs to men such as this. And when we think about public theology, often there's a classic David Tracy definition that the public theologian speaks to the church, speaks to the academy and speaks to society. And that's the kind of definition I'd want to upturn, that it's not a speaking to. It imagines this white man with gravitas that gives speeches and everybody thinks they're very clever. Well, that day and age is gone, right? Like yeah, yeah. Past, and I would never, you know, as a woman and a feminist theologian, I'd never adequately fulfil that role anyway. So we're mm. trying to turn that on its head, that it's not it's not a talking to anyone. Yeah. It's, a, it's a talking with and it talks, it tries to, public theology tries to um, inform the life of Christian, you know, it's for Christians. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's for Christians to inform the life of faith around public issues and, and that includes definitely critique of the church, affirmation of the church, creative play with the traditions of the church, but then it also is not 
so insular that it's only, you know, its discourse becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. It has to be interdisciplinary. And that's a challenge in Australia because theological colleges have, since the 1970s, become more and more separated from the other disciplines and become more and more insular so that theological students aren't studying any other discourses. So how do we create public theology spaces that are interdisciplinary and that teach people how to engage with the other important discourses of the day? Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's, you know, that's so astute and, um, and, and you know, it's it, it getting out of that that we have the, you know, within our field has within it all the resources necessary to um offer the full critique and cast new vision for the for the right. when talking to the society or the church and interrupts that we say no no it needs to be this dialogue and be more um open and I guess also you kind of touched on there again also like yeah challenging a bit of that notion of of the common good and what um who gets to define that and what theology right. plays in kind of I guess sometimes sanctifying or aligning next to a particular kind of vision of common good when um, you know, often what is good for so many of that common is 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 so bad for those who are, you know, excluded and outside of that. So I think that's that's a helpful um, distinction. So then I, I guess um, I'm curious, definitely, especially about that the the, the point about the interdisciplinary work. I guess because um, that can be so hard because you know it's because of that removal away because of who gets the attention like I sometimes find with this podcast like I want to reach out to guests mm. totally outside of the field but you're like you have to lay so much groundwork of like it's going to be okay I think <laughs> um, yeah. and and I just want to like you know hear what you have to say how, how have you found trying to work to you know push some of those barriers open you know extend offers or or, or, or build relationships outside of the disciplines and how have you found that um, yeah, that through your work. Definitely extremely difficult in Australia. So mm. and so much easier with colleagues in other parts of the world, particularly in America and the UK. So, mm. and I, I do think that one of the, like, the enormous problems of theological discourse and education in Australia is that, that um, insular theological colleges standing alone um, away from other departments that they used to be engaged with in universities and um, it just it's making a smaller and smaller and smaller world for theology so and when I was doing my PhD which was feminist theology so obviously thinking about gender theory post-structuralism uh, it was very difficult to find anybody to help that had expertise in both of those areas. Um, and I think things are slowly shifting here in Australia in some pockets of the theological world, and that's encouraging. But my experience, you know, so that's 12, 11 or 12 years ago, and my experience over the last decade of writing theology and presenting at conferences in Australia has largely been alienating. And I think a lot of people in Australia would say that anyway because it's such a small group. Whatever your niche is, there's probably not somebody, you know, many other people. Yeah. So I don't think that's, I think that's a common experience for people in Australia. But I do think in terms of the interdisciplinary work that, you know, there's kind of what you would have like basic assumptions in other parts of the world 
aren't met here. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Um, say for, so I do feminist theology. That's my area of specialty. So that you would assume anyone doing that kind of work or engaging that would need to grapple with gender theory, right? So to think about, well, what is gender? And there was a run-on for quite a while whenever I'd get asked to examine research from people in Australia doing feminist theology. And time and time again, the gender isn't defined in any of this work. Um, the texts that are referred to in feminist theology would be Elizabeth Johnson, Catherine Lacuna, like the big names of feminist theology from 20, 30, 40 years ago and nothing that had been published recently here in Australia and all around the world. Mm, mm. So, And it, what it brought to me is, oh, the people that are teaching these students haven't read anything since they read She Who Is 30 years ago yeah. and that's all they're teaching. And so that's what, and we start to reproduce that and then they start to reproduce and it gets smaller and more outdated and less interdisciplinary and has lost a sense of where discourse around gender theory is, no idea. So that that becomes a problem that's reproduced in the study of theology in Australia. I think there's a number of places, you know, I think UTC and Pilgrim uh, seeing a lot of the work they're doing with different units that they're offering, the read lists that are being offered, um, the Australian Collaborators in Feminist Theology in my field, seeing that really having a lot of energy is really encouraging. But, you know, six or seven years ago I would have said, oh, I have to go overseas to find colleagues, find mm. to talk to and work with. Mm. Which is, yeah, such a shame because that is like, because I can totally understand that, name then, but it just adds to that whole like what you often find with that exodus of those who who, who are so, you know, important to the local context. Um it's interesting thinking about the way, you know, you're kind of tying in there that like so people want to engage like, you know, feminist theory and that engage, you know, the Christian feminist theologians. Um, and I think so often when we're trying to go that interdisciplinary route, what how we access the other, you know, both being dated, but also it's through the intermediary of how this has already been integrated into a Christian frame. Mm. Um, so rather than going to Butler, you go to someone who's already, you know, the secondary yeah. step. Um, and, yeah. they, and you see that in race as well, you know, and, and like that's not bad, but it's I think if that's the only place you don't go to, let's go completely outside the field and let that disrupt um, yes. and start start the process again. That that creates a, a, an issue as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if you again, it, it is a challenge because of the very small numbers of people studying mm. in Australia. Um, but if you go other places, you'll find this kind of interdisciplinary conversation very normal. Yeah. <laughs> stuff happening and all sorts of theorists are being introduced and coming into theological spaces and speaking in them mm. um, and being a part of that discourse and it just simply doesn't happen here. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, you look at sometimes I know with friends who I know who are doing, you know, um, doctoral work over in the US and look at some, some of the, I'm doing this subject on like whatever death, dying, you know, and something or other. And it's like almost all the reading list is not yeah. like strict theology, but it's a theological subject. And I think, yeah. you know, it opens up the conversation in many interesting ways. But you're right, it's, it's tough with the the small. So I guess what, if you were waving magic wands around, like what are some of the things you're hoping to see, I guess, broadly conceived with, with, you know, the next, because I, I was thinking about this, you know, the uh, future of systematic theology appears in one of your um, book titles. So yeah. I felt 
somewhat permitted to ask you to look into a magic eight ball. Um, but, but I guess, you know, you've talked a bit about your hopes for what you're trying to do with the cooperative and public theology. But if you're thinking about the way theology is done, because I think, you know, you've pointed out that getting smaller in terms of becoming less interdisciplinary, I think, and um, at the same time, it's getting smaller in the sense of becoming so, is so denom- denom- denominational. Mm. Um, and so, so much then of the, the way things are taught are to help, help those coming through often tailored at ordinance, um, uh, candidates for ordination, um, respond to the particular questions, crises, tension points within their dom- denomination rather mm. than being open t- to other things. So I guess I'm, I'm curious as, you know, someone who worked, you know, with Trinity now doing this work um, and has just been around the scene, uh, what your kind of hopes are for maybe some of the course correction you'd like to see and some of the what maybe is the future or could be the future of not of theology and theological education um, in the lands now called Australia? Um, big question. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the back, the, like the obvious caveat here is theological education in Australia is really hamstrung by a lack of resources. Mm. So everything I'm about to say is, you know, is dependent on mm. the, the shrinking resource pool. Um, but I do think it's really imperative that theology gets back into the universities in Australia. I've been convinced of that for a long time. Um, and I think that that's for the benefit of everybody. Um, you, you, Again, we're, we're talking about Christian theology. You can go and study all sorts of theologies at most universities except Christian theology. And given that the the... You know, so many people say Australia is a Christian nation. It seems pretty important to me that Christian theology is a part of those theological that are already happening in universities. So there were real concerns in the 1970s about Christian theology in universities and they all got expelled largely and set up these little denominational colleges. But, one, we don't have the resources to continue like that. Two, I think... It's largely a failed experiment in terms of what it's done to shrinking the discourse and making it reactionary and defensive, as you said. Um, But I think it's for the betterment of public discourse in general that theology gets back into the universities and it becomes a much more um, typical and normal interchange of ideas as interdisciplinary discourse. Um, And I think that that will take a lot a lot for denominations um, to grapple with. And uh, I think there's a a massive task in decolonising the the, um, syllabus in theological Mm -hmm. colleges um, and attending attending to how the, the stability of the Western tradition continues to be taught. And, like, I think, you know, on one hand it's easy to critique individuals, faculties at various theological colleges, um, who are often under-resourced and not trained in teaching and pedagogy themselves. You know, you get a PhD now, you can teach. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, most colleges do one event once a year on pedagogy and that's supposed to... Pre- so it's easy to critique individuals and and I'm wary of that, but on the other hand, my experience, and this is not from, you know, I've taught at five theological colleges in Australia over the last 12 years, very few people are actually asking any critical questions mm-hmm. about about the syllabus, about mm-hmm. and, and that just that isn't just the course unit outline. The syllabus is the whole approach to what does it mean to provide a theological education. 
So I think there's a big getting back into universities and there's a massive task ahead in like decolonising and attending to the patriarchal um, and white supremacist elements of how the Christian tradition is taught and uh, that's going to take a lot of courageous leadership if we're if we're going to move out of that. Mm. Thank you for that. I think I was, I, was draw, I was thinking about that, you know, getting back into the universities to, you know, help others in other fields wrestle with Christian theology and and, and Christian mm. heritage and and um and the you know church and missions and all that. And I think you know that what's been exposed is the lack of people's um outside of the church, lack of uh familiarity, yeah. comfortableness. Like and I think it's really been shown because you know, with the current prime minister foregrounding his faith so much mm. that you've seen then this like, well, how do we understand how to talk about that and critique it or um, and ask questions of it and understand wh- how that might motivate X, Y or Z? And you see a lot of just real general just like take a swing in the dark of how we think that connects to this and that. And I think, you know, to help actually have better critique and not just of that one particular example, the whole way this, you know, things you know, broadly shaped um, and the way to discourse and different language that comes up around the way, you know, reconciliation, for instance, and other things. Right. Like, you know, the more that there's ver- people are versed in that um, from a critical standpoint and otherwise um, is going to allow a better public conversation whenever Christianity raises its head. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, and then, you know, there's and there's been studies that shown the lack of um, religious um uh, what's the word? Grammar, not grammar. Um, oh, literacy. Literacy that Australian the Australian public population has across the board. So, uh, and it it makes for a really unhelpful public discourse. And we've all had the experience of reading the newspaper and really ridiculous or overblown or overgeneralized comments made about whether it's Christianity or Islam or yeah. the faith. So it make will we as a society, whatever that means, will ask better questions if we are more literate about the tradition from which this particular society has largely been shaped. Mm. And Christianity is so inexplicably linked into the project of modernity and prior to that colonization. So so we need to become more literate and ask better questions. Thank you for that. Um I have one more question, and then and then I want to really talk about um, the upcoming conference that the cooperative uh, co- co- is hosting, which I'm very excited by. Um, but so I kind of got introduced to you mostly first, like through social media, right? We became friends on Facebook before we have now had a conversation here. Um, and you use your Facebook to, you know, um, for critique to raise good questions, uh, to to press on maybe you know assumptions that are still, you know, whether it's in theology or society or the church and things like that. And I'm curious to think about how you see the relationship of of social media and public theology. How you, do you have a particular? Have you a, a you know, oh yeah, this is how I am going to use it strategically. Uh, is this more just come out of how you, you know? Just now, you know, it just started, and they're like, "Yeah, this feels good." Um, but yeah, there's that more of that that relationship between this kind of what public theology could be, and and yeah, and the relationship of that to social media. Yeah, it's a good question. I probably don't have a satisfying answer, 
Um, one being I'm really apathetic about creating a public identity. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't accept friend requests from people I, I'm not confident I know exactly mm-hmm. who they are. Um, so I don't, you know, I, a few years ago I deleted about 2,000 people from social media and just said I just want this to be a relational space with mm-hmm. people I'm actually having relationships with. So uh, and I think that that that's there's been genuine intellectual questions for me about whether it's a public theologian or a public intellectual, how does that trade off like the old notions of the charismatic man mm. that become wildly popular and builds yes. a platform and I don't want that. So I'm really, I'm really, I really work against that, you know, and I've had people, even marketing people tell me I need to build a profile and I need to, and yeah, I definitely, I don't want to do that to my soul mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. I, I don't want to do that to my soul. I don't want to want that. I don't want that to be the kind of desire that shapes me. And also I think that there are reasons we need, like the level of abuse by charismatic male leadership, we need to be working much more aggressively to deconstruct that. Mm. So so I think that that means that, you know, and I one of the provocative things I would say on social media, especially, especially around Christianity and the and the role of a charismatic leader in in evangelicalism and and you know mega conference Christianity <laughs> that we have to move away from being fanboys of these dudes yeah. like as yeah. public voices I think like we have to take that seriously and the amount of people that say to me this man this public figure that has thousands of followers is actually quite toxic and he's mean and he's cruel and they still follow him and like him and share his things whenever they agree with something he says is really despairing to me. Like it's like a drug. We're unwilling to give up charismatic public figures, even though we know there's a whole range of reasons that this is a problem. So so I am unwilling to go mm. down that road or position myself like that. I am intentionally performatively provocative on my social media, but purely with those I'm in relationship with. So, yeah, I don't. I think we have to be, for me, there is a whole range of questions about social media. It isn't real human-to-human relationship in most instances. It is this kind of like if you take theories of performativity, say from Judith Butler, for example, like social media is the archetypal stage for what performativity taken to its extreme is I think and I'm super conscious of that I'm performing a kind of identity and I make conscious decisions about that Um, but I'd hate to reduce that to what my real meaningful relationships look like Mm -hmm. because they don't look like that so I guess I take social media to be that kind of performative stage that it's a short attention span it's how do you you know it's your what's three-minute thesis that all the, like, what is, you know, we've reduced down academic work to 800 words for blog posts and now we're trying to do it in 120. Like, yeah. what, get to the crux of the argument in 120 words and let's think about a thing. That's mm. my social mm. media. But, but again, really in a private relational way. So it's not, yeah. it's probably not a satisfying answer. I just don't No, it's a really good answer. I think that's, that's really helpful and particularly that point around the, the charismatic male figure, which yeah, is still so prominent. And and I think I mean, it might have even been a post of yours recently, just the way that's been replicated in the communities that are developing adjacent to event, um, 
evangelicalism, like as the ex-evangelical movement and others, um, that, that that's still being kind of replicated. And I think, you know, as you say, because Australia is quite small and, you know, you, you, there'd be a way that you could quite easily position yourself as the feminist theologian, yeah. you know, emeritus, you know, emeritus who has to be like, you know, who's, who, who could just take that position within the discourse. Um, but as you say, it's not going to be actually very helpful. Um, yeah. mm, thank I you. like myself too much, Liam, to do that. <laughs> for me. That's great. Enjoy myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, that's a, that's that's the perfect answer, I think, for, yeah. to that question. Um, so let's talk about uncommon goods, uh, mm. which I, I am in, in immensely excited about. Um, as soon as you know, I'm going to be booking booking flights very yes. soon. I mean, it's with COVID, who knows? And I mean, maybe I'll be vaccinated by then, maybe not. We'll see. But I'm very, you know, intending to go. So tell other people why, a bit about it, uh, a bit about where, where, you know, you talked a bit about how it fits in, I guess, with this is an annual thing that the uh, cooperative is doing. But talk a bit about what you're hoping this conference achieves um, and, and how, how, I guess, it came about. Yeah, so it's the inaugural sort of the academic theological project of the cooperative. It's seen as a two-year project called Uncommon Goods and it's trying to ask um, those provocative questions around the social imaginary of the common good and what this leaves out and what this covers over. Um, So it's framed around three focus areas, one being public theology and empire, public theology and the earth, so thinking about the... Um, the crisis of the ecological crisis of our current age and public theology and community services. So the idea of certainly in the early 20th century that social works would be incorporated into public theology has largely been lost in recent decades. So, And that makes sense for Wesley Mission Queensland. So there are three focus areas and there's going to be three events and uh, well, numerous events, but three conferences to attend to each of these issues. And the first one is in September, September 24th to 26th, called uh, Uncommon Goods, Public Theology and Empire. And it's a three-day conference here in Brisbane in Wesley House, which is the building next to Albert Street Church, so right in the in the public square here. We have three keynote speakers we're super excited about, Anne Patel Gray. Um, Sione Javier and Monica Melanchthon. So uh, three great scholars that are well-known internationally for their work in post-colonial criticism. Um, I'm just super excited of the calibre of the speakers and also the idea of bringing those three people together. Yes. Um, There'll be... Uh, there'll be paper presentations of about 25 people will be presenting papers in different sessions, attending to different issues, and that's super exciting. You know, I'm so excited for flipping some of the norms in this event. It's the first time I've ever, I've organised lots of theological events. It's the first time I've ever put a poster together and there wasn't a white person on the poster, and that was exciting. And mm. then when when all the paper proposals came in, I'm pretty sure there's more women that have proposed than men. Oh, great. And there's a massive proportion of people of colour from across the world. So some of the six or seven countries, people zooming in to present papers, it's just, you know, given the last year and a half, and I know many of us go to conferences overseas to get that interaction with our theological colleagues, we haven't been able to do it. I'm just so excited to have a theology conference and to think, oh, 
you know, often theology conferences in Australia tend towards a more conservative side, <clears throat> wouldn't be able to stage these kind of conversations. So I'm really excited to to have this to look forward to and, mm. and for people to come from all over the country and, and, yes, it will be part of a book that's later published under the title Uncommon Goods. That's wonderful. So if people want, uh, as you say, if you search, if you go to the cooperativehub.com, uh, up the top is a tag for conference and you can check it out there. And yeah. uh, We'll be adding many more, much more information and registration will open on July 1st. So, there you go. Yeah, so there you'll you be go. able to register. them. That's so exciting. I will say I didn't think this would be a concern, but because we had so many people propose papers, which was exciting, uh, we will have to, there's a capacity, so mm. we may. We may sell this conference out, so do register quickly. Oh, wow. There you go. Come on, folks. Yeah. Get in. <laughs> problem there. Oh, yeah. What a great – that's that's wonderful to hear. Um, yeah. Well, Janice, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a wonderful conversation. I'm sure everyone has enjoyed it uh, immensely. Uh, so other than the conference and just checking out the cooperative, getting on that website and looking around, anything else you want to draw people's attention to, plug, promote, this is your time. Absolutely. Big shout out to the Australian Collaborators in Feminist Theology. I'm a partner, um, cooperative is a par- in a partnership with them. They're doing extraordinary work and they have a number of events. So uh, mm. then on the 7th of August, uh, thinking about Krista towards Australian feminist Christologies, um, get, you can either go to the University of Divinity website to look at that mm. or there's a link on the cooperative. Uh, they also have an event later in August together in one place uh, and also really exciting based off some of the conversations we've had today, Liam, in November, a seminar that's beginning a, a special project into um, patriarchy and theological education in Australia. So, Great. Great. Yeah, so that event, those three events will all be in Melbourne, but the Krista one will be both in Brisbane, here in Brisbane, and in Melbourne, so you can register for both sites. That's wonderful. Um, so, yes, thank you. Please, people, do that. And, uh, Janice, thank you again for coming on. And, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, see you all next week.